Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. In this episode, we are going to be chatting about our recent Real Estate Investor Summit that we had here at the Enterprise Property Management and EPM Real Estate Headquarters. In our neighborhood chat, we will touch on a recent court ruling on the eviction moratorium. And finally, we will talk to an attorney about the legal aspects of managing the tenant process. I'm Aaron Ivey. Hi, I'm Brett Bernard. And I'm Glenn Green. So, uh, so this past weekend, EPM Real Estate had its first ever annual or quarterly, I'm going to say now, it's so successful, uh, investor summit. So we brought, uh, what, six investors to Memphis. Yes. They all flew in on a Thursday night. From all areas of the country. Uh, California. So North California, Southern California, Nevada, North Dakota. North Dakota. Yeah. And then uh, Trey, a partner of ours from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, my hometown. So anyway, the, the idea was um, we have a lot of people that buy in Memphis, a lot of clients, and we're constantly teaching them about the markets, talking about the markets, throwing names at them that they'd never physically seen. They, You know, it's, it's really hard to explain the Memphis market to people, but once they put their feet on the ground here and see it, it's like a light bulb goes off. Well, it's funny you say that because one of the things that we – talk about is the need for investors to have boots on the ground yep. now we're the boots on the ground right but these particular investors wanted to come and see memphis understand it understand its history and its layout right but there is so much to learn about investing in real estate because it's it's a very diverse market right and so we had uh two very good days of of uh, driving around town, showing them the layout, Raleigh, Whitehaven, um, Berkeley. That's all of them. Cordova. Yeah. yeah. Uh, believe it or not, uh, one of our investors uh, is now considering paying a little more for a house in Cordova because he loves Cordova. He absolutely loves Cordova. So the the summit was designed for one particular reason. That is, you know, look, it wasn't some five hour a day seminar where we bored you to tears about everything under the sun. We actually got up here into the office and everybody got a cup of coffee. We sat down. We had put up a map of Memphis, went through the different markets, and you could see the investors say when you when I showed them Raleigh, they'd be like, "Oh, dang, that's Raleigh. I've heard that name a million times." Um, and they started just putting together the puzzle that they've had in their mind about Memphis. It was a great conversation. What I was intrigued by and what I really loved was that when we were done is how these investors, they they hooked up together in a conversation and started talking strategy and, and what one does over the – so they were, they were like-minded, but they were trading stories, trading ideas. Um, and through that, we ended up coming up with a new idea of, of investment that we're going to actually be working on hopefully here in the next month or two, and we'll talk about it down the road. Um, but I was so happy to see these guys connect. Uh, f- three or four of them went down and had barbecue, hit Beale Street. Next day, showed up looking like they got run over by a truck. Um, but they all had a good time together, right? So it wasn't all about business. We did spend some time on business, but we spent a good bit of time having some fun and you know drinking a beer and just talking. And that's what I liked and that's what I enjoyed the most is a roundtable conversation because we got to know these guys way better than we ever did. We got to understand their true philosophy and their goals. Two of the guys are already talking every other day right now uh, that they they met here and they're they're talking about their situations. They're from different states, different ideas, but they're talking consistently about what each of them are doing. And our investors are very diverse in their backgrounds. Uh, this isn't a bunch of rich cats that are wanting to buy real estate. These are people who have normal jobs, normal lives. They get up and go to work every day. And they want – they are building for their future. Yep. I have one investor. I talk about him a lot. He's an alignment in North Dakota. Who he was here. And he doesn't want to do that forever. <laughs> he wants and, to be a real estate guy. And guess what? I think everybody that met him at first is like, hey, who's this young kid? And as they got to know him and realize what he did for a living. Listen, they say world's deadliest catch has to be the worst job on the planet, right? right. Out yeah, there yeah. in sub-zero temperatures in the middle of the Bering Sea catching crap. On a boat. What he does in the dead of winter at 20 below zero is 
equally as has to be equally as miserable. I was um, talking to him yesterday, and he said, "I missed your call. I went up in the bucket for ten minutes and came down and realized I missed your call." So all the guys started calling him Canada. <laughs> that was his nickname because the way he talks. But, but yeah, but I guess my I think point after is, after his first night out. And then, then people realize why his personality is the way it is. Because he gets up in a bucket in twenty below zero and and hangs power lines in a blizzard when power goes out. That's what he does. Big point for him is he knows he doesn't want to do that for the next thirty yeah. years. What is he? Twenty nine. He's twenty nine years old, years old yeah. and he got into real estate. Contacted me, I guess, two years ago. Right. And we've been, and we're talking about a guy that goes and does the the lineman job. And when he gets home, he calls me and says, "How about this property? How about that property? Let's look at this one." Right. And he is he has learned Memphis, and we've done some good things together. Uh, he's more of a he's he's starting to do buy and hold, which we always you know encourage. But he's also done some flips. Right. Um, but I guess. My comment is that our investors are very diverse, and so we had uh, the the summit here um, last week, and we had very diverse investors, but they all have something in common, and that's that desire to get into real estate and develop more. Hey, look, these summits are free of charge. You just got to get an airline ticket and a place to stay. We don't bring in 15, 20 people. We keep it five to seven to eight people small so that we can have some social time together, right? And mm-hmm. just hang out and talk because you find out so much more about somebody when you're sitting down just having a conversation over a beer than you do sitting in a room full of 20 people listening to a seminar so we designed it that way it worked beautifully so i'm going to go ahead and throw it out there i will probably do this every 90 days so if you're interested you can go to behind the curtain podcast.com go to epmrealestate.com which is our website Below there, there's our profiles. In our profiles, there's our cell number, our email addresses. You reach out to us. Say, hey, I heard your podcast. I'm not a Memphis investor yet, but I'm interested. I'd love to come out and hang out with you guys for a weekend and 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 get the tour. Uh, we'll, we'd love to do it. Matter of fact, if we get a few people asking for that, we'll go ahead and do it sooner. Um, we could do this monthly if we wanted to. Um, I I would yeah. hope that we don't get the same drinkers every time because i don't know if i could survive that but uh it was it was a fantastic weekend uh everybody that left here left motivated they're they're in the process of buying now they're talking to lenders about loans they're it was just a good weekend and it's it's a good opportunity for investors to learn about memphis memphis is a unique town yeah it's bordered to the west by the mississippi river uh to the south by mississippi state of mississippi uh and to the north a uh, federally protected uh, land area. Mm-hmm. And so all of our, our development has been from west to east. And so when you look at the city from that standpoint, then you understand what Raleigh is and what Whitehaven is, Burclair, and what the eastern suburbs look like and why they look like that. Yep. And so coming to Memphis for a couple of days will clarify Memphis in your mind as an investor. So And it'll make you feel better when you do start buying in Memphis. Is yes. Understanding. Yeah. I mean, Mike Gibson said it made me feel better knowing how to drive from my hotel downtown to where my rental properties were. Once I figured that out, he goes, I feel like Memphis for me as a city shrank, right? It wasn't this big city that I was lost in anymore. I understood where I was. So yeah, it'll do you some good. So go to our website, uh, behind the curtain podcast.com, uh, look for future events. uh, Or if you want to come to Memphis earlier than that, go to, uh, epmrealestate.com connect up with Glenn or I or send us a message to the website and we'll we'll be happy to accommodate you as our investors say we always answer the phone we're always working but when you get here we spend all of our time with you as much as you want if you want to be off on your own and go see Graceland go do it if you want to sit down and talk business we're available so anyway hopefully uh, we'll get some uh, get some more people coming in on that that in this next 90 days yep so uh, if you're a new investor or even a seasoned investor but you never bought in Memphis before uh, I would encourage you and Glenn would encourage you to get in touch with us and come to Memphis and spend a couple of days with us and see the sites have some fun and, and also uh, talk business and, and get to know the real estate market it'll do you some good it'll help you understand what we would normally tell you on the phone but you'd visualize it yep it's informative but it's also relaxed we're not doing eight hours of classroom work no. we're doing a couple of hours and then we go out on the road yeah 
that's how you learn Memphis is by driving around and understanding the layout of the city. So but after us. after we're done, we're not responsible for what what happens after hours. Yeah. <laughs> and now neighborhood chat. We have an investor. Uh, he was here for the summit, and uh, he bought a house closing in October of last year, August of last year. Turned out that the documentation that was given to him turned out not to be accurate. Uh, the lease wasn't signed. The rent ledger was fabricated. It had been put together the last minute. So anyway, he, he buys this house, and then all of a sudden the, the girl – doesn't pay rent for six months, hadn't paid rent for four months prior to him buying it, but somebody had lied to him. So he's got a case there. But the question is, we went then to evict her, and because of the COVID moratorium, she wrote out the eviction time and never paid a dime in rent. I did buy a new car, though, but never paid a dime in rent. So what we were able to do over the Christmas holidays, and this was the advice of an attorney, notices were posted on the door multiple times and recorded. Uh, the house was then deemed abandoned, and per the eviction law, you're then at that point, if an investor's property is deemed abandoned, they have the right outside of the moratorium, regardless of the fact, to go change the locks to protect their asset. So that, in that case, that's what they did. They were able to get her out that way, right? Uh, deemed the house abandoned. She didn't respond to any notices for 14 days, and they said, well, the house is abandoned. I'm the investor. I own the house. I have a right now to protect my investment and change the locks, and he did. So how does that tie into the moratorium? That was my question, because I kept asking the attorney that question, how is this affected by the moratorium on evictions? And he said clearly, he goes, look, the moratorium is to deal with COVID, but the moratorium cannot tell an investor who has an asset that they've got 60 grand tied up in. They can't tell that investor, I'm sorry, you're, it's like going to Burger King saying, I'm sorry, you're Burger King, but you're not allowed to sell Whoppers because of COVID, so therefore you just need to shut your doors and stay that way. They can't force a business to not be able to open and function. There was a uh, federal judge in Texas that determined, specific to a case, that the uh, moratorium was unconstitutional. But his ruling only applied to that particular case. Yeah. Um, so how long has the moratorium been in place? And this, and by the way, the case that Brett is talking about is highly unusual. Yeah, okay. it is. Very so, unusual. And, and so we'll come back to what my experience has been over the last year with this, with the various moratoriums that have been there. I never understood. Yeah, I never understood why, how the moratorium was set aside due, through the abandonment issue. Sure. That was the issue I was never connected to. Okay. So here's the deal, guys. What a messy, messy situation we got ourselves into uh, March the 17th, I believe, was the day that the first eviction moratorium was set in place by President Trump. In brief, what happened was if you had a federally backed mortgage, right. you could not file for eviction against your tenant. That was the initial moratorium Trump put in place. It kind of made sense. I think it was just a, we were pumping the brakes. Mm-hmm. Okay, we were saying, oh, everybody just kind of calm down. The federal government, he, remember, Trump was advised, he paid more attention to economists than he did to Dr. Fauci and anybody with the National Institutes of Health. He was definitely not listening to the World Health Organization, right? We all know this. This is well-known information. He wanted to know, he's a money man, he wanted to know how the money was going to be affected. These economists said, Mr. President, your the ripple effects of closing down the internet like internet global shutdown right because of the pandemic are going to be far reaching and 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 you need to just go ahead and stop some things so 80% as 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 we know of houses owned have some sort of indebtedness 80% of houses in the United States of that 80% of indebtedness which is owed in in the form of mortgages most of those mortgages are federally backed so this was a very easy equation mm-hmm. it was a very easy decision for the president to make to say okay if you have a federally backed mortgage you may not evict your tenant based on non-payment all right so that's the factor that you were questioning all right based on non-payment uh, so that for, for the vast majority of evictions, those evictions are based on non-payment. Mm-hmm. They're not based on the fact that that house is a drug house. They're not based on the fact that the tenant is punching holes in the walls. Okay. That, that's not what you're evicting for. You're evict or they're not cutting the grass. You know, right. you're evicting based on the fact that tenants have not paid their rent. Okay. Right. So 
very simple equation basically said that most of most of America was protected from being evicted based on non-payment in that situation if you had a federally backed mortgage. Now, we did not fall for eviction on 10, 12 houses based on non-payment because of that coverage, but we did fall for eviction based on one house, which was owned free and clear to Glenn's point. All right. The homeowner was able to prove that they had no mortgage on that house. And so we filed for her eviction. We were heard in court. It was incredible. We were like Superman coming in there with a cape like nobody could touch us because we qualified to be able to evict her. I think you should have the right to evict your tenant in this country. Sure. I, I get what the first what the first four months <clears throat> of protection was <clears throat> from March to August. I get it. Right. Yeah, you have to pump the brakes sometimes. We needed we needed Just that as a country to slow down. Now, we had a window. We're talking about windows from August the twenty eighth to September the fourth, and we all knew it. Every every attorney, every landlord knew you've got to file for your eviction now because they're going to do it again. They're going to provide another round of protection. We just didn't know what it was going to look like. But Trump, I'm sorry, the president or the administration at the time, they they provided a window. So we then filed for about six more evictions. All right. All the evictions I couldn't file on before I filed during that window. And then we have the CDC eviction moratorium, right? Or CDC declaration. So the CDC basically said under the guise of the executive branch, if you believe that you're eventually going to be homeless due to the fact that you can't pay your rent and you are subject to eviction, then you are now protected by the federal government from being evicted. You just have to send in a letter or a declaration that declares your right to not be evicted. That's literally what the letter is. To your landlord. To your landlord and to the court clerk and to all these other places. So this very new complicated set of requirements on the tenant were set Mm -hmm. in place, but our local Shelby County courts also decided to not hear many, if any, court cases regarding eviction. It became so complicated, and our local courts were so cautious of being penalized for hearing eviction cases. Judges could lose their seats. Uh, Attorneys could- For hearing a case? Correct. For hearing it all the way through. Because here's the deal. If you start an eviction case, and there's information that you don't have on hand as a judge, if the judge is not asking the right questions, then, then judges can make mistakes, too. And a mistake that a judge could make under the CDC eviction moratorium is that they would actually hear a case where there are protections in place, which they did not acknowledge. Several judges simply chose chicken down. I'm not going to say that because Come I'm going to be I'm going to be seeing these judges <laughs> next week, well, next Brett month. So but here's the deal. Here's the deal. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. But a judge in Memphis, Tennessee cannot win an appeal case against a federal judge. I agree. Okay. All right. So they just chose not to hear those cases at all. Right. So it didn't matter what I did. Correct. I I wasn't going to be able to, to pursue a tenant for eviction based on non-payment period. End of story until go ahead. But before you move on, I want to get a question in. Sure. So do you think that the, the inability to evict was more or less, the judges and the courts not hearing the cases? Or do you think that the ruling from the CDC, the flat ruling they put out, I guess, so what was the main reason you couldn't evict? Do you think it was the courts just saying, hey, we're not hearing them? Or was it the CDC rules? Were there were there, were there there loopholes in the CDC rules that said you can you can evict under this circumstance or under this, or it was just flat out period? If you think you're going to be homeless, submit a letter and no eviction. That was my question. Okay, so the the bottom line is that the CDC eviction moratorium uh, definitely was a, a legal action taken by the federal government to protect tenants. Um, it was so initially because there were there were two different iterations of the declaration that they gave that they put on their website. Mm-hmm. The first declaration was extremely general. Okay, it, 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 it made very little sense. It was just kind of like, if you think that you could be homeless based on, you know, a COVID diagnosis, which keeps you from going to work, which keeps you to, from paying your tenant, thereby resulting in uh, a cause that the landlord would have to file for your eviction, then you are protected. Okay. All right. The second 
clarification of that letter when it was re-upped on December 31st, 2021, and it was re-upped for two months, mm-hmm. right? No, three, January, February, and March, okay? That second clarification was was much more detailed. It now said, so before it basically said, if the tenant told me I'm protected by the CDC declaration in a letter form with their signature, then they were protected. The clarification, which happened December 31st or January the 1st, said now that that tenant has to file that letter with a court clerk in order to be protected. At the same time, it said very plainly that if I have received the letter, that any action that I take to evict that person would be seen as a violation of the CDC eviction declaration order, thereby putting me at risk of a $250,000 penalty from the federal government. Okay. Well, let me, before, <laughs> before we keep diving into this. Sure. Number one, I, I do believe that it's unconstitutional. I don't think you can tell a business owner, which an investor is. You, know, you paid cash for a house. You're an investor. It's a business to you. I don't think that the federal government has a right to come into a state to a business owner in that state and dictate to them how they're going to treat their product, their customer. Now that I said that, so in this instance, this girl was, as soon as the CDC ruling came out, said, I'm not paying rent. and nothing you can do about it. There, went and bought a new car. Right. Hold on, let me finish. Went and bought a new car, was still driving that new car to work every day and making an income, but because mm. of the CDC ruling, this poor guy got burned for six months worth of rent. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that was my question is that I don't know if, but the problem is you can't sue her. You can't do anything because the courts aren't hearing it simply because of the Correct. CDC. So it's like they created a situation to get around and they hurt, they hurt a lot of investors. I know there's a lot of investors just lost. You know, six, seven months worth of income. Oh, dude. Because of this ruling, and I think it was done haphazardly wrong because, let's face it, the people that took advantage of it did it knowing they were screwing these poor people and didn't care, right? They're going to work making an income, bought a new car, but they didn't care they were hurting the person that owned the house. Right. Neither did the government, neither did the CDC, and neither did Shelby County Courts. Clarification, though. If they don't have to pay rent, it's not forgiven. They have to repay the the rent that is now past due. Am I right? That's correct. So it's not like it goes away. That's correct. They no, have what to they work out a plan to repay those. You and I, you and I, have been around this scenario many, many for several, a long time. Right? We've dealt with this. They ride the clock out, and when the clock stops, they just pack up their stuff and move on to the next house. And you're never getting the money from these folks because let's say you sue them for the five grand they owe you and back well they're going to go to court in front of a judge and say well your honor I, you know it was covid it was lockdown i couldn't i couldn't work regardless whether they're working or not and immediately that gets washed away You're, so it's i feel bad for the investors but i wish there would have been a some more thought put into the moratorium yes and understand the but effect. you're talking about our government there's not a lot of but thoughtfulness the effect there. it had on the economic side of the investors that own these properties versus the economic side of the folks that were suffering. There had to be a balance, but they didn't draw that balance. They went straight off, protected a tenant, and burned burned the property owners, which I totally disagree with. Sure. My job throughout the entire last year, and we've had a year of eviction moratorium, more more or less. Eviction, we've not been able to move forward for all sorts of reasons, and we're going to get into that later. The eviction moratorium was overturned in West Tennessee by a federal judge about 10 days ago. All right. So here's the current situation. It's March the 24th. Um, Fifth. In West Tennessee, a federal judge said that the CDC eviction moratorium is now unconstitutional. Okay. And we can talk about why later under the legal section that we're going to have. 10 days ago, I filed for 11 evictions. Okay. And when one particular tenant called me on the phone and said, Aaron, you've been working with me for a year, which, by the way, was very one sided. Sure. Right. She had all the rights. I had none. Mm-hmm. She said, you've been working with me for a year. How is it that you're just now filing for my eviction? And I said, it's because I can. Yeah. I like the way you put that. I like the way you put that. Twinge in his eyes. Oh, but I can. It's because I can. And, and, and that's just the truth. Right. And, and she said, well, that still doesn't make sense. And I said, well, actually, if you want my a single legal reason as to why you were late on March's rent. Well, the reality is she's not paid on time, you know, for 
months and right. months and we've we've gone through all the funds and all of the the opportunities that the federal government has has given us to be able to reclaim are you ready the federal government paid me 60% of the rent that she owed last year what still not fair and they made me sign off the right to be able to evict her based on that past rent really yeah and that happened in november of this year so from march to november i got paid nothing from her and then i signed a form and the homeowner agreed to it that said that i would get 60 percent of the rent from that that seven months or whatever six seven months and i had to to say i would not evict her on any past due balances from that period of time and write off the debt on her ledger which i did it's like they say just because it's free, someone's paying for it. Somebody's paying for and it. Her investor's paying for it. Well, that's exactly right. Now, her investor did say, I'd rather have 60% rather than nothing. Correct. So, sure. they took it. So, the listener needs to know this. Let's let's end on a hopeful tone. The eviction has been overturned. Eviction moratorium's been overturned. Okay. We're in a good place right now. As of March the 24th, for 10 days, we've been able to file for evictions. Court dates are filling up. I've got two court dates right now, April the 9th and April the 30th. I plan on being there along with our normal legal staff, Paul and now Kelly. Um, and we're going to be talking to judges and seeing tenants. And it's it's a whole new world. It feels like we're getting back into this. Here's a little bit of a, a tension, though, as we end this story. The Federal Court of Appeals, I think, has now appealed our federal judge's decision. All right. So whatever circuit court of appeals that we're in, the overturning of the eviction moratorium is now going to be heard on a federal level. This fight is not over. Okay. So one last positive point. 15 houses out of 550 that we've been managing fall under this category. So the vast, just 15, just 15 the vast percentage. majority of our tenants have said, I want to stay here. I want to pay my rent. Please work with me if I get behind a month or two. I promise I'll catch up. And they've done it. Yeah. All right. So I'm telling you, it's taken quite a bit of finesse to be able to, to manage during this time frame. But we have not been looking to the law for safety or protection. We have been trying to work it out with our tenants on a case-by-case basis, and it has largely paid off. Good. Um, for those 15 homeowners that are, you know, that are having to go through this, we're going to handle that all the way to the end. Work with the judge. We're professionally represented by an attorney. We're advised by an attorney. You're going to hear from Mike Mitchell um, as soon as as soon as we release it. He's going to tell you all about what we've been able to do, what our rights are. We've got a great landlord tenant city. Now, so, Mike is the attorney representing APM in these issues, correct? That's correct. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, so I'm excited for you to hear about what he has to say, what our rights are as landlords. Even during COVID, we still had rights. Um, we just weren't able to evict based on non-payment. So tune into the next segment where you'll get some actual legal advice from an actual attorney instead of us three clowns who just throwing right. our opinions out here. <laughs> and our experiences, right? We all, right. you're dealing with the eviction side. You're dealing with the yep. tenant side. You're dealing with the investor side. We're dealing with the sales side. So yep. I think when it comes down to the moratorium itself, we all have the same opinion. It, it, sure. I think it overreached, right? It hurt. It overreached well beyond what it should have. So. Yeah. This is Mike Mitchell. I'm an attorney here in Memphis, been practicing 31 years, and I help Aaron and Enterprise with all their eviction suits. I can't remember how we met. Actually, it's been so long. I was I was young then. Mike, are you still with Gentry, Arnold, and Mitchell? Actually, they were a PLLC, and I've kind of set out on my own, so I just share space okay. with them. There are now four of us in the office. There's Mr. J.D. Gentry and Mr. David Arnold. They do probably about 50% bankruptcy work, and the rest is just some other stuff. Uh, Mr. Arnold does some personal injury matters, and Mr. Gentry does a lot of probate stuff. And then I do a little bit of everything. Um, and then we just got someone that's sharing office space with us, a, an attorney named Tony Campbell. And Tony does a lot of bankruptcy stuff. There's few attorneys that do mm-hmm. Chapter 11 stuff just because they're very complicated, huge cases, and they're kind of above my pay right. grade. It's just a lot of information, and I don't care to learn this late in life. So, But she's really good at that. So between between all four of us, though, we can probably do just about everything. That's awesome. And, and do you do any sort of like um – assistance with people who are trying to form uh, corporations, LLCs, PLLCs uh, for 
the purpose of owning and operating real estate? I've done a couple of those. Usually what I do, because Mr. Gentry's more, he does more of that stuff than I am in the laws regarding incorporation, that kind of stuff. They kind of change on kind of a frequent basis. So I usually just kind of refer people down the hall. Got it. Cool. Yeah. But you've done just about everything. You've done bankruptcy law. You've done domestic law, uh, general civil lit- litigation, as well as criminal misdemeanor and traffic defense in the past. So would you say that your specialization that you have right now, your focus in law is mainly bankruptcy? Well, it's kind of it's, it's funny. It's kind of changed. I used to do probably about a fourth bankruptcy or more uh, back when the economy kind of tanked about Maybe a decade ago, I was probably more like 40 or 50 percent. And then, of course, I started doing an eviction trial and doing a little bit of creditor work in the past year since COVID has hit because of the eviction practice pretty much slowing down to nothing because of the stay requirements and all that kind of stuff. It's funny the divorce practices pick way up, and I think that's maybe because I hate to say it, I think sometimes you don't know your significant other as well as you think you do, and I think people are just kind of getting stressed, spending so much time with their significant others, and there's just an upswing in divorces. You know, uh, over the last year, it's it it. This is I think COVID has challenged everything that we do. That's pretty crazy. Exactly. I mean, the thing is spending, I think it's, I think it's a matter of not being able to have your own space as much as you're Mm -hmm. used to having. And I think the world has kind of gotten to be a bad, I mean, with politics the past year and the, 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 you know, the poor guy getting killed by the police officer and everything else. I think there's a huge amount of the population, no matter What's your political affiliations or what race you are or anything else? It's just so stressed about everything being kind of sucky the past year. A bunch of people just aren't dealing with the stress as well as they should have. A lot of people want to go out in the backyard and just kind of scream just a little bit. I'll say this quickly so you know we got stuff to talk about. But, you know, the we had the most beautiful spring last year that I can remember in a long time. We had a real season. And there were a couple instances where I had like a runny nose, probably just regular spring sinuses. But because of COVID, I was too scared to come in the office. So I spent a lot of time on my deck this Mm. past spring and it was just beautiful, you know. Tomorrow will mark a year since the first day of the uh, federal eviction moratorium. It was March the 27th, 2020. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the year in review. And we just have a few questions. We don't have to answer all of them. But for the last year or so, outside of a couple of breaks, there has been more or less a nationwide eviction moratorium for tenants who qualify. Tell me from your perspective, how has COVID affected a landlord's ability to file for evictions here in Memphis over the last year? Well, when it first hit and started breaking out, people kind of knew there was something going on. And then then when it got to where it was really declared a pandemic, they just basically shut down the courts. The the virus was spreading and they didn't want any kind of in-personal contact between people. You know, people were, you remember here in Memphis, when it first came down, it was spreading. You know, you basically weren't supposed to even leave your house except to go to the drugstore or perhaps the grocery store. They just encouraged people to stay in and not go anywhere because we had to get a grip on the spread Mm -hmm. of the virus. So the courts were closed, and and then when they did decide to open back up, there was a there was a stay in place that said that if you were a homeowner, and if there was a federally insured mortgage, that you were a stop from proceeding against people if they had a rent deficiency. Well, that's not every mortgage. A lot of people don't know if their mortgage is federally federally insured or not. But Fannie Mae backs up about. I don't know, 40, 50 percent of the mortgage. So that, that's a significant number of people, landlords or mortgage holders, that because of the federal rules could not proceed because there was a stay um, if you had a federally insured mortgage. And I understand why the government did it. You know, they're trying to keep the lid on a virus. And there's people that are losing jobs, especially, you know, left and right. I think the service industry was especially hit hard. And the government's attitude, either right or wrong, depending on your perspective, was, you know, we just got to do something. We just don't want to start setting droves of people out on the street 
you know, that's going to have negative consequences for those people that are set, set out as well, as well as the virus and everything else. You couldn't do anything for a while because of that. And that made sense. Well, that's you know, finally, to me, I think early on yeah. um, when I called you and, and said, you know, well, what can I do? And you said, well, you can't do anything. You know, you, you just you need to stay put. You need to read uh, the the federal uh, uh, federally backed, you know, loan or mortgage moratorium, which was, you know, as far as our investors were concerned, that's about 95% of all of our investors. Um, and you said, just, you know, find out, you know, send, send the declaration form that each one of our homeowners is required to, to sign and, and to answer these questions out to each one of the homeowners who's, uh, who, uh, for whom you manage, whose households were in arrears, um, on the rent and have them send it back to you and swear to you, you know, certain things. And so 95% of those homeowners, um, couldn't file for eviction. And then we had one homeowner that owned their property free and clear and they were able to file for eviction. And we actually got possession of that property in August. And that was one of the more challenging evictions, I think, that we've ever been through. You know, there was a lot of misinformation, I think, that was out there just in the news and on the Internet as far as how how wide these protections were, these tenant protections were. And what we found out in her case is she had no protection at all under the initial moratorium, which was the March 27th moratorium, 2020. And so we, we got one and then uh, we tried to move forward with some of the other evictions that we had at the time. And we had a brief window um, at the end of August, leading all the way up to September the 4th, 2020. And then there was a second moratorium. And, and could you tell us what the differences are between the first moratorium and the second moratorium? Well, the first moratorium was, you know, issued by Congress and do the FDIC entering, you know, entering mortgages part. The second part was when the CDC, you know, issued the ruling that said we're going to bar people from filing eviction suits uh, just because we're trying to slow the spread of the virus. And we're trying to keep people from being dispersed out into the public or different places. Uh, so that was a different reason. And the, the law was kind of convoluted because it said you can't evict people for non-payment. It didn't specify whether you could or couldn't do it. Perhaps the lease is ended. So there were all these restrictions on it. It was just kind of hard. It was hard because nobody really knew. And it was even more difficult because the, the courts basically took the position at that point in time that we're not going to let any attorneys evict anybody. They kind of the courts on their own because it was almost getting into a technical area about what mm -hmm. the coverage might be. And there's so many evictions anyway, and try to look at those on a case by case basis due to time constraints and the number of people. It just wasn't a practical mm -hmm. way to do it. And then the courts it ended up being shut down again anyway. So you couldn't do anything because the courts mm -hmm. were closed. They were supposed to close the end of December and they were going to open back up first week in January when they always open up. And they've been shut down again until they just opened up Monday of this week. Wow. Right. I mean, so very momentous week then. Um, the, the courts began to hear cases and have initial settings and things like that on Monday of this week. And it, the, the problem is because the, the courts had is, is complicated because before the courts could open back up, they had to present to the state Supreme Court, which in a lot of aspects, people don't know. They think that the state Supreme Court just hears cases that go up to the Court of Appeals uh, from the state Court of Appeals to the state Supreme Court. You just decide those. But the Supreme Court actually does a lot of administrative functions. And one of those that they had to do was ensure that all the courts across the state came up with a plan of how they could reopen, how they could prevent. And, and try to keep the risk of infection down so that the courts could open, yet keep the risk of spreading the virus down some. Uh, what they've ended up doing is we've got six different divisions that hear general sessions court cases. So there's six courtrooms. So what they do is they have morning dockets and afternoon dockets. So they only have morning. Uh, they have three divisions open. In the afternoon, they just have three divisions open. So... They will put they will only allow a certain number of people into the courtroom so people can maintain their social distancing. And then once that limit gets reached, people that were, are waiting for their case that morning 
will either wait in the adjacent courtroom or they'll have to practice social distancing out in the hall. And it's kind of a mess because there's so many different places, but that's the only way you can realistically do it. You know, you can't, it doesn't make any sense to have 80 people outside a little hallway outside a courtroom because, you know, then it looks like all those kids down partying in Miami last week. You know, you just got the risk of infection going up. So the courts are dealing with it as best they can. People just have to understand that there's a, a big backlog from both the spring of last year and then again, the early part of this year, and it's just logistically the way that they're not able to open up to full capacity yet. It's just going to take a while to muddle through that. And what they're trying to do is hear new cases as they can. And also at the same time, get some of the older cases that have been dormant for a while and try to bring those on so they can try to kind of slowly get rid of the backlog. At the, at the same time that they're trying to address some new cases. So there's so much going through my mind right now. And now that we've not really been able to process evictions for a year, I don't know how it's going to reboot, like how it's going to start over. Well, and that's a, that's a good legitimate question that there are a lot of attorneys are struggling with. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, the judges are struggling with that. We've got six very good judges. I have fantastic relationship mm-hmm. with all of them. I consider every one of them my friend. The problem is General Sessions Court, where you do the evictions, they're a court of general jurisdiction where you can sue for basically just about anything up to a $25,000 limit. So you've got credit card companies that are trying to get in there to do stuff. You've got hospitals and medical collection that's trying to take place. You've got landlords trying to proceed their evictions, boyfriend and girlfriend that are you know suing one another to get a car back or furniture back or something after a breakup. So you've got all these different kinds of cases. And the problem, you know, Memphis is a, you know, we're a county with about 900,000 people in it or so, and we've just got such a volume of cases and there's a backlog and the court's doing the best thinking they can do to take care of it. But they're trying to deal with the backlog at the same time they're dealing with all these new cases coming. If if we can, let's just ask a couple of questions about the lifting of the stay with the federal judge. Uh, So my understanding is that there are three and I, there could have been a fourth. I just I stopped reading about these as soon as West Tennessee was was elected or or, or uh, deemed right. right. So can you can you explain a little bit about what happened just here in West Tennessee with the the federal judge that determined that the CDC eviction moratorium uh, was unconstitutional? Yeah. Well, what had happened? There had already been a couple of decisions. One out of Cincinnati, and I can't remember Texas. the other place. Yeah, that's exactly right. What 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 had happened was a law firm here in town that represents one of the big property management companies that, that represents a lot of, you know, enterprise represents has houses. Uh, they represent a lot of apartment complexes, thousands and thousands of units in Shelby County. Uh, they filed a lawsuit alleging that the stay was unconstitutional. I haven't had the chance to, to read the opinion and know exactly why, but in any event, um, that finally, the, the case in Texas got heard. The case in Cincinnati was heard maybe a couple weeks before the decision here. And then the decision came down here, I think maybe three weeks ago, Monday, I believe, where the judge here said, you know, those other two courts are right. The CDC extended its authority, and we're going to say that what they did was unconstitutional. Now, conceivably, you know, the president could come out with something new, some kind of executive order. Perhaps the Congress could do something. But right now, there's nothing in place. So because that's been lifted, uh, people can go ahead and proceed with their evictions. Before, under the old CDC rules, the only thing someone had to do is, is file something that said they make less than 100 grand a year and they had been affected some way by COVID-19. You know, I don't think there's nobody that hasn't been affected by COVID-19. Right. I mean, I mean, and, and even that person that sits in a house by themselves, you know, the price of food has gone up because there's been distribution problems, which has caused the price of food to go up and things like that. I mean, everybody has been affected by COVID-19. But what Enterprise has done, if I sure. can kind of speak for them, and I think what a lot of creditors have done is they've reached out and they've tried to work with people. I mean, enterprises always try to do that because I think y'all are one of the few landlords that don't have this cut and dry position that we just want you out no matter what. Y'all kind of have a heart. Y'all don't want to see someone displaced if there's if they've got a decent reason why they're behind. And if, if the owner approves it, 
you know, if they're trying to make a good faith effort to try to catch up, you know, it's a lot less work. You don't have to worry about revamping the place after they right. move out. You don't have to worry about trying to go after them for any rent. You don't have to try to, you know, get a new tenant and all that expense. So you try to work with people. And I think to a large extent, that's what a lot of people, until the stay was lifted, that's what a lot of people have been trying to mm-hmm. do anyway. As a practical matter, you can't get into court to do it because of COVID-19. And the second issue was, even if you do something to try to throw these people out, they're not working. They're not trying, you know, they, they've lost their job. They're down and out. And, you know, there's there's no point in trying to displace someone who has no place to go. That's, that's one of the things under the COVID-19 test was you couldn't evict someone if they filed a notice. If evicting them uh, put them at risk of having to live in a, a shelter or being displaced and homeless. You know, if you got someone who's temporarily out of a job, if you evict them, how the heck are they going to get someplace else to live if they don't have any current right. income? Let me just ask you a, sure. maybe a controversial question um, before we uh, end our time okay. together. You had mentioned that there is a sort of a, a representative from uh, legal aid um, who, who are they're, they're coming to the courtrooms now. I didn't know this until this very conversation. I, I think that's kind of cool. So here's a controversial question for you. Would you advise the average investor to strongly consider working with that advocate in the courtroom to maintain the residence for the tenant who's behind on their rent and accept a part, the, the, the person, the advocate that's in the, the courtroom and these funds that are out there, they're not going to pay you back everything that the tenant owes you. And they're definitely not going to pay you forward. That's going to be the tenant's responsibility. They're going to pay a large portion of their the arrearage, but not all of it. Would you advise just with your gut feel about where we are in the COVID process and how much longer we have to work through this and how congested the courts are going to be as we hear all these cases. Would you advise these investors to consider working with that advocate and accepting those funds and allowing the resident to remain? I definitely think it's a good idea. You're going to get something of what you're owed, behind, you know, uh, you, you know, and you've, you've got to kind of look at this, you know, my experience through the years with your tenants and other people, it's not like most of the time someone just wakes up, you know, the first of March and says, you know, by darn, I just don't feel like paying my landlord today. You know, it's either some loss of a job or something catastrophic, an illness, uh, a divorce, whatever, that causes people not to pay. It's not like you find someone who's just got this entitlement attitude where I just want to stay there and live scot-free. Every, every once in a while I have, but but it's really rare that you see that attitude. And and people are struggling, and what the, the concept behind having these funds available is that people have an opportunity to stay, to get back on their feet, to keep them getting displaced. The landlord may not get all that they're owed as far as past rent, but they're going to get something. And, you know, my experience with enterprise through the years is y'all have always tried to work with people. And, you know, you're going to get a lot more progress with someone trying both of you to reach a, a decision together that's beneficial for everybody rather than trying to cram something down someone's throat that they don't want. You know, if you've got a tenant there who's, who's lost a job or whatever, and they're behind and maybe you can get half the past due rent or even more, you know, you're going to more likely get that tenant to really struggle and try in the future, not to break any future promises as opposed to just saying, okay, 10 days, hit the road, get out of here. And you're still going to have to pay me the money. You know, a lot of our investors actually just want the house back. And and, and let me explain as to why, you know, the, the, the tenants have come with, um, you know, they, they've said, I'll sign up for this fund. I'll, I will, you know, these funds, by the way, to, to the listeners that are out there, they are paying anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of the back rent that is due. Enterprise property management and and our tenants that were behind, we did receive 60% to 65% of the rent that those people owed. And because we were just at the beginning of COVID, our homeowners were a lot more flexible. I guess I'll ask you one last question about this, and then we'll just sort of close for the day. And then I'd, I'd like for you to tell people where they can call you or email you um, if they'd like to you know hire you for representation uh, here locally, you know, because sure. if they're listening to this podcast about real estate in Memphis, Tennessee, they probably own real estate here in Memphis, Tennessee. And so even if they haven't hired enterprise property management to do their work, 
you know, this way they've gotten a feel for who you are and they know that you're quite capable of representing them um, in all, all manner of legal needs. But, but I'll ask this one last question before we go with, you know, we've seen the government try to provide a safety net through these moratoriums and through these restrictions on evictions that they've, they've put out here. Do you believe that our federal government, especially under the current administration, is going to make possible other ways to support households and families who have been affected so deeply by COVID? Like, are you are you hearing anything or do you do you think that our administration is going to to say, okay, so we can't restrict it, but we're going to provide other ways for these families to be cared for? You know, I I think it's going to depend on how fast the economy rebounds. And, you know, there, there's no argument that it's, a, that it's a mess. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been yeah. displaced and I feel sorry for them. There are a lot of homeowners that are owed rent. I feel sorry for them. The, the problem is the reality of it is until the economy gets back to where it was, you just can't make money appear from nowhere. The, the situation now is such that there's not really anything in place. And the government, you know, as far as the stay, they're doing the this recent assistance for homeowners, you know, the $1,400 and that kind of thing, uh, th- that's going to help. But I think long-term, it's just going to depend on how the economy does the next three to six months and how it right. rebounds. It, it, again, it's just, it's just difficult. You're just going to have to be patient yeah. with it. I, I know there's a lot of people who need help. The problem is, how are you going to pay for all this stuff? You know, how does government make its money? Well, the government makes this money basically right. through taxes. Well, what generates taxes? Right. The economy. You know, eventually somebody's got to pay for all this stuff. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, friend. Um, so if, if people want to talk to you directly about their own, you know, legal need um, or they have questions about, you know, COVID and evictions or or just about anything else involving, you know, real estate here in Memphis, Tennessee in, in regards to the law, how would they get a hold of you? Where would they contact you? My office number is 901-591-8800. My office is in East Memphis, but I'm downtown. You know, every time I have to go downtown for court, I'm down there quite a bit too. If you're local and you got a problem, if you got a six pack, I got a nice deck we can sit on and, you know, take care of it yeah. that way too. So, okay. So your telephone number one more time to get a hold of you at the office is? 901-591-8800. Okay. There was so much to discuss regarding the current state of evictions in Memphis, Tennessee and Shelby County that we were only able to share so much with you uh, at this time. So if you'd like to hear an extended version of our conversation, keep a watch out for a much lengthier version of, of this chat, and we'll be putting that out at a future date. Everyone listening, you can also find us at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you didn't have a moment to catch that number from Mike uh, just now, you can also call us, reach out to us. We'll be happy to connect you with Mike as well. So Mike, thank you again for talking with me after hours on a Friday afternoon. This is a huge sacrifice for you. I'm so grateful for you and your friendship. (laughs) But Aaron has a way of remembering things that pop up at 415 On a Friday afternoon, whenever I've left the office, uh, I'm always giving him a hard time about that. But that's the good thing about being friends. It doesn't bother me because I know he's not he's not he's not asking something that doesn't have merit to it. So, okay, okay, thanks, man. I appreciate you. All right. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at epmrealestate.com. This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc.